0: the Lord, for Thy great plan That we Thy dwelling place may be
1: Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, provided by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Witness Lee served the Lord faithfully for more than 70 years, culminating with his exhaustive commentary on the entire scriptures called Life Study of the Bible. We're happy to bring you recorded excerpts from his ministry at the end of the program. We'll give you the website where you can find out more about the remarkable ministry of these two men. But for now, we hope you enjoyed today's program. The Food That Man Eats is a focus of the Bible from the first pages of Genesis to the final pages of Revelation. Man's eating represents what he takes into his being. Manna, the heavenly bread given by the Lord for his people in Exodus, is one of the Bible's most meaningful types of our Lord Jesus. A careful consideration of the details and characteristics of manna can open up a great insight and appreciation of Christ. And with us today for a program from the book of Exodus that I believe will touch many of God's hungry seekers is Ron Kangas. Welcome back to the program, Ron.
2: I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad to be with God's hungry seekers.
1: I like that phrase, too. His hungry seekers. May we always be counted in that number. Ron, we've been looking at the characteristics or details that are given in Scripture related to manna. Particularly, we saw three items. That first, it came from heaven. Second, it came with The dew of the morning. And third, it came every morning. We're going to join Witness Lee right now as we look at more details related to manna.
0: We have come to the direct description of manna. The first item is the item of smallness. Manna was small. People like to praise the Lord for His greatness. In all the Christian hymnals, we never found one in the smallness of Christ. Believers of the Lord, they do not realize how precious is the Lord in his smallness. Amen. You just consider Jesus. Jesus, yes, he was the descendant of David of a royal family. But he was born in a manger. And he was raised up in a carpenter's hole, in a small town, Nazareth. In John 6, when he did some miracle, people thought he met with the king. So they gathered, trying to enthrone him. He ran away from that kind of exaltation. Then the next day he came back and told them that he was the bread of life. He didn't like to be a king. He wanted to be the food that people may receive life, that he may be the life supply to his seekers. He was small for the purpose that he could be food to us. Through the centuries, even after his ascension, many Christian teachers in the writings, they were somewhat tempted to write something to exalt Christ. But actually, through the centuries, the Lord has all the time kept himself in his smallness. What the Lord Jesus wants to be is altogether different from our natural concept. No great miracle could be food. Even the genuine healing in miraculous way can never be food. The Lord Jesus just wants to be food to us. Anything in our Christian life that cannot be a kind of life supply to our life, that is not genuine. That is not normal. Why? In the Gospel of John, people tried many times to exalt the Lord Jesus. He wouldn't stay in that kind of exalting situation. He liked to be small. Even John chapter 2, Many Jews saw the miracles done by Jesus. The Lord Jesus wouldn't trust in them, wouldn't commit himself to all these wonders of miracles. Then, in the next chapter, chapter 3, not in the open, but in the night, not with a crowd, just one single individual came to him nicodemus without miracle just in a calm way the lord jesus was life to him the lord jesus was not a miracle to nicodemus he was life in a silent calm hidden concealed small way. i tell you this is the divine way
1: Ron, I thought this was a very poignant section directing us to an appreciation of Christ, not in his greatness or magnificence in this case, but in his smallness. I think it's fair to predict that this view of our Savior is probably new to many, if not most, of our listeners. Why should we have an appreciation for Christ in his smallness?
2: Uh, I'll respond to this in a moment. But first, uh, let me emphasize that in speaking of Christ in his smallness, we are in no way diminishing his transcendence, his exaltation, his magnificence, his infinity, and his greatness. There is no need to question our absolute devotion to the Lord in his greatness. And there is no need for us to defend the greatness of the Lord. We testify of this and worship him for this. Having said that, let us face the marvelous fact of what is revealed here. The people needed food. God needed a reconstituted people. His way to reconstitute us is by feeding us with Christ as our eternal food. This is made abundantly clear by the Lord's own explicit speaking in John chapter 6. He said, I am the bread of life. If we muse upon this matter, if we think it through, how can bread be larger than we are if it's to become our life supply. I mean, let's just purposely emphasize the obvious. It has to be small enough to get into us. Then it has to have the capacity to become even smaller in order to be digested and assimilated by us. The great God, the God who in his Godhead is infinitely great, has become in Christ small enough to eat because the desire of this great God is to dispense himself into us, to work himself into us, and to constitute us with himself to make us his corporate expression. For this he became small enough to eat. This is the revelation of the Bible. This is what is portrayed in Exodus 16. This is what is revealed in John 6. But as John 6 also indicates, the religious mind has a problem with this. So we need the Lord's enlightenment from his word to know Christ in this aspect. I'm reminded as we're fellowshipping here of that occasion in Matthew 15, where the Lord actually presented himself not only as bread, the children's bread, but as the crumbs under the table. He not only became bread, he became crumbs, bread crumbs. And when the religious ones rejected him, so to speak, sweeping him off the table, he remained under the table as the crumbs for us, the unbelievers, who were dogs in the sight of God to feed on. If we really know God in his economy, in his heart's desire, and in his dispensing, we will know that God in Christ is not only great, he is small. He is mysterious and infinite, not only in his greatness, but also in his smallness. The Christ we're presenting, based on the word in this message, is a Christ small enough to get into you, small enough to be digested by you, small enough to constitute you with himself. Why not open to him and enjoy him in his smallness to meet God's need and to satisfy your deep hunger a hunger that only Christ in his smallness can satisfy.
1: Ron, perhaps uh, one of the greatest aspects of his magnificence is that in all of his greatness, he could bring that into this smallness that's available for us to assimilate. What a revelation of Christ. I I don't think this demeans uh, our Lord in any way. It exalts him even higher. In this coming section, Ron, uh, we're going to look in Numbers 11 specifically. Most of our time has been spent in Exodus 16 as we have examined manna, but many of the fine details uh, are here in Numbers chapter 11. Let me just read a very short verse, verse 8. The people went about and gathered it and ground it in mills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of fresh oil. Let's join Witness Lee.
0: He is fine. Fine here means what? Not coarse. Just like the floor, wheat floor, fine floor, it is fine. It's so even. We all can testify when we take the Lord Jesus as our food, when we take His Word as our life supply, all the time we could never be. A person, so coarse, we would be made fine because the food we take is in this kind of nature. Then, wronged. It is wrong in every way. Wronged in the Bible signifies eternal or eternity. Eternity doesn't have a beginning nor an ending. The eating of Jesus will bring you out of time into eternity. And I dare to say today, I am eternal already. The life which I have received at my regeneration is an eternal life. And I have the eternal nature. So I am an eternal person. Manna is round. is eternal. Not only so, it's perfect. Jesus and his word, both are eternal, perfect, and full. We are eating this kind of a diet. So this kind of diet is transforming us into this kind of nature. The more we eat Jesus, the more eternal we will be, and the more perfect we will be, and the more full we will be. In our diet, there's no shortage Eternal, perfect, and full. I tell you, eventually you will find out it is not so easy for you to eat man. You have to grind it. You have to beat it. And you have to boil it. After grinding, you have to make cakes. Today... Every Christian has a Bible. Everyone can read, can study the Bible, but no food. Why? No grinding. No beating. No boiling. All these millstones, mortars, and pots are just our experiences. Some of our experiences are just grinding millstones. Some are just beaters and motors, Some are just boilers, pots. If you don't have experiences, circumstances, situations, the Bible could never be food to you.
1: Ron, there are several items related to the manna in this chapter, Numbers 11, and we see the various ways in which it was prepared or cooked by the children of Israel. What do these various methods of preparation refer to in our own application and experience of Christ as the heavenly manna.
2: To uh, be brief, these methods of preparation refer to our need to apply Christ through the Word as our manna, our life supply, in the midst of the concrete situations, in fact, actual difficulties of our daily human existence. Sometimes we may expect that we can be in our room and read the Bible and that would be sufficient to get some life supply. And I read the Bible in my room and I get, surely, the life supply. However, there's still a need for that word, that life supply, to be processed, I would say, to be cooked, ground, otherwise prepared by and in the difficulties of our human life. Many of us can testify that when we read a certain precious portion of the Word, we might have been inspired, we might have been impressed. But when, perhaps sometime later, in the midst of the hardships of life, the Spirit brought that Word to our remembrance, it really nourished us in a deep way. That is the manna that's not just, we could say, raw or unprocessed. That's the manna that has been ground and cooked and baked and prepared in diverse ways in our experience. I think many of us, if we would review our spiritual history in the light of this word, we would realize at least a little bit. We've experienced the manna in this way. This is the way it is. We have our part or our involvement in this. The Lord himself has come down. He has been processed through death and resurrection to be our life supply. On the one hand, we gather him by seeking him in the word. On the other hand, we need to go through things, some of them quite hard. But in these hard times, the manna we've gathered becomes the manna that supplies us and satisfies the deepest hunger in our being and sustains us and gives us the incentive and the capacity to go on and on as we follow the Lord in this journey into his eternal dwelling place.
1: Right when the children of Israel first saw manna, what came out of their mouth spontaneously is what is it? It was not anything they had seen before, and it was unlike, really, anything they had seen before. Let's join Witness Lee, and we're going to explore that very aspect in this final portion.
0: We need to seek after the Lord. In the morning while, well, sometimes you just pick up a manna, but still manna was not good for eating. You need some time, with some kind of a, a circumstances, to grind manna to beat the manna in your motors and to boil. Then you can make manna into cakes. Manna will be good for your eating. Here you do have an item that shows manna is the rich nourishment. We come to the last item. That is manna. The word manna means what is it? Nobody knows what is it. The Bible never says, manna is what? The Bible says, manna is S, 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 S. Then what was manna? A mystery. Just like Christ. Christ is a mystery. No one can define Christ scientifically. No one can define Christ in a physical way. After his resurrection, he came into the room where the disciples where, and the doors were not open, and he was there. You may say he was there just a spirit. Yes, after resurrection, he did become a life-giving spirit. But he showed his disciples the hind, the side, even the marks of the nails, and he asked the disciple to touch, and they did. Is this material, physical? Are these spiritual, intangible? The Bible does say Christ in you, and Christ far in you, and Christ abides in you. What shall we say? Christ has a name, manna. What is it? This is a mystery.
1: Ron, as we've looked at these verses regarding manna, both in Exodus and Numbers, It's interesting that the Bible says what manna was like. It was like coriander seed, and its taste was like wafers, or it was small or fine as frost. Uh, It never really says what it is. It just says what it was like or what it was as. As a picture or type, what does this mystery related to manna convey about Christ?
2: Let's put all these things together, the very items you mentioned the comparisons, it's like this, it's like that, it's as this. Let's put those together with the meaning of the word manna, which essentially is, what is it? The children of Israel saw it, they gathered it, they ate it, they did all kinds of things with it to prepare it for food, and when they first saw it, and after they gathered it, and after they ate it, They could still only say, what is this? They could compare it with certain things in the physical realm to give a partial understanding. But ultimately, it eluded all natural human understanding. It was mysterious. This is very significant in indicating Christ is mysterious. Surely we should seek to know him. We should seek to understand what is revealed concerning him in the word. But we would add this, it is of no profit to analyze him. We should try to know him and to understand the revelation concerning him. But here is the kind of paradox. The more we try to know and do know, and the more we try to understand and do understand, the more we will realize that he is unfathomable. He is mysterious. There are certain, shall we say, uh, more educated or intellectual types that they analyze as a kind of way of life. And that's okay up to a point. But day by day, when we're hungry, we don't analyze our food. We take it in. If we have a proper hunger for the Lord and if we have a proper realization that He is mysterious beyond our understanding, we will simply eat Him. We will simply experience Him and enjoy Him. Yes, endeavoring to know Him and to understand Him according to the revelation in the Word, but all the time recognizing This one is too great, this one is too marvelous, this one is too mysterious. When I first touched him, he was mysterious. When I first ate him as my life supply, he was mysterious. But now after decades of experience and seeking, and all kinds of experiences of Christ as the life supply, I would say now, more than ever before, to me, he's mysterious. He's real, he's wonderful, he's mysterious. Yet, he's my life supply.
1: Ron, thank you for uh, not just your fellowship, but also your very heartfelt testimony. What a Christ we have. We can know him, but we can never really fully know him, can we?
2: He is mysterious. We can know him. We can understand him to a point, but eventually we should just be content to go beyond knowledge, as Ephesians 3 says, to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. It's kind of a paradox, right? We know it, but it's something beyond knowing because there is an eternal mystery in this wonderful God-man.
1: Well, this has been Life Study, message number 37. We hope that you're enjoying these messages as much as we're enjoying bringing them to you. My thanks again to Ron Kangas today. I'm Chris Wild, and thank you very much for listening. Yeah. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Whether you're hearing this program via radio, online, or as a podcast, you'll find hundreds of audio studies just like this one by visiting our website, lsmradio.com. We also hope you'll email us with your questions or comments, radio at lsm.org, or call us toll-free, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, that's eight 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 five four three three seven eight eight. 543 3788 Thanks for listening.